Okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes. It's good to be in Texas. It's good to be in Texas. I'd rather be here than any place else in the country. <laughs> Jan and I were raised in California a long time ago. Janet, stand up. Let me introduce my wife to you. She's my sweetheart. She's my sweetheart for the last 55 years. 55 years. This month. This month, yes. Yes. Um, we, um, like Pastor said, we'd been in New Zealand for, well, since 1976. Um, we left the church there in uh, 2005. Our son is a pastor of the church now. And uh, uh, we go back periodically. In fact, uh, next Tuesday, we get on the plane again and go back for another three weeks to do some meetings there. And uh, it's an exciting time for us to <laughs> see the family, if nothing else. But uh, it's an exciting time. Uh, God has been very gracious to us. In establishing International Baptist Church in Auckland. Auckland is the main city in New Zealand. Uh, there's oh, probably close to two million there in a country of about five or six million. So it's, it's a very crowded, very big place now. When we first moved there, there was something less than a million people. The uh, uh, Immigrants there have just swarmed the country over the last, oh, I guess 12, 14, 15 years now. Um, our little church uh, started out as Bible Baptist Church. And our first 10 years there, man, it was like chunking it out of rock. We established the church ourselves in our living room, Janet and me and our son, Ken. And um, it was just like chunking it out of rock. For 10 years, we'd build it up to 40 people, and next week it was back down to 20. Uh, it was just like that. And then in 1994, the Chinese started moving in. And oh, what a blessing that was. Uh, the church really began to grow. And uh, today it's a church of over 400 people. Two services, two services because the building's just not big enough. And the price of property over there is just out of sight. It's like Southern California. And um, it's just very, very difficult. So they run 400 people in two services. Um, and it's a busy time for them, but um, uh, it's good. And we're seeing new people saved over there all the time. Um, when we went back in 2013, my son gave me a group of Chinese people that didn't know English, and they didn't know the Bible. And there was about 20 of them there. And uh, I had a Chinese worker that helped me uh, with the language, so I'd speak and they'd interpret. And we did that for about nine months. And... Uh, the end of that nine months, that whole crowd 
uh, professed Christ. That whole crowd came forward and got baptized. That's just, it was, it was incredible. And it just reminds us of those early days, chunking it out of rock. And now God blesses so, so thoroughly. Uh, yes, uh, and my daughter's here as well. Candy Craven, she's a part of the church. Stand up for a minute, hon. Stand up for a minute. Yeah. She and her husband, Chris, worked with us for 15 years there in New Zealand until Chris got sick of it. And <laughs> Chris wanted to come home, and I don't blame him, but uh, um, it's, it's good that he settled here at Hallmark Amen. because he's here. We came in and uh, saw it, and uh, we love this church. We love this pastor. He's an amazing man. His dad, uh, we're blessed here, folks. We, we are blessed. Uh, and I just want you to keep praying for him because, um, well, he needs your prayers. He does. Well, you've known my background now. You've learned it. I want you to turn with me in James Chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. James 1, beginning in verse 2. And I'm going to read down through verse 18, as that's my portion to deal with tonight. In James 1, beginning in verse 2, He begins, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that He'll receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers. It withers the grass. Its flower falls. And its beautiful appearance perishes, so the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. For when he's been approved, he'll receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own lust and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it brings forth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Don't be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And comes down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth. By the word of truth, that we might be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we do thank you so much for this scripture. As Brother Mike showed us last week, this is a special book. 
And the author is an amazing man. And Father, what he has given to us is for our profit. It's for us to learn by. Lord, how we live in this life, how we live in this world is very important to you. Father, you did not leave us here to be battered about by the winds of circumstance. Lord, you have, you have made us victors. Now let us put these pieces together tonight. And let us understand more fully what it is that you're doing in our lives. Father, bless now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 The tests of life. That's really what James is speaking to us about here. The tests of life. The book is about knowing God. It's about knowing God in a different way. That different way is by experiencing Him. There's a lot of people that know God. Uh, they talk about God all the time. There's some people that are preachers. They know God, but they've never really experienced Him. And that's what He's laying out for you and me. That in order to be able to understand what we're dealing with here tonight, um, we've, got to, we've got to have an experience with God. Now, that experience with God is not this big mystical thing that happens to some people, you know. They're walking down the street and boom, uh, God, okay. Um, no, experiencing God is a lifelong process. God leads you. He guides you. He hears you. He speaks to you. On TV, they were talking about some politician that said something about, well, I'm waiting to hear something from God. The media ridiculed him. Yeah, well, um, so he talks to God. I talk to God. God speaks to me. God speaks to you. Well, in James 1, he, uh, he tells us in verse 13, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Um, God will never tempt you to sin. That's not his business. He may allow temptation to come, but he didn't, he's not the author of that temptation. He's not the author of something that's designed to see if you're going to be tripped up, but God may allow it. Satan is the one that's behind it, and God may allow it, because it involves a process. And God knows that in that process, you can grow through it. You can grow through it. Or you may determine who you really are. God will never tempt you to sin. Satan is the one that's described to us as the tempter of men. But God may very well allow him to tempt us. As he did our father Adam. Adam was tempted in the Garden of Eden. By the way, did Adam have a choice? What would have happened if Adam had grabbed hold of Eve and said, Look, honey, God told us that we shouldn't even be here. 
and we're going to leave. Come on, we're going. What would have happened then? Huh? We'd still be there. Now, how can you say that? How can you say that? Well, you know, it just takes a little bit of deduction, doesn't it? And that deduction is, why are we sinners? Because we've inherited that sin nature from Adam, amen? That's why we're sinners. Well, what if he would have obeyed God? You know, God could have dealt with that sin question a long time ago. Did Adam fool God? Of course he didn't. Of course not. God knew what the outcome was going to be. But God's knowledge didn't cause Adam to sin. Adam made a choice. You know, that's a wonderful thing about God. He created you. He created me. He created us in his image like he is. Now, you can chew on that for a while. Like God is, is how we were created. There's power in that. There is some awesome thoughts and awesome things that you could bring up in that. No, he didn't make us little gods. We're not little gods. But we were created to make choices. And Adam had to make that choice, and he had to make it for you and me. Because he sinned, what did we inherit? His sin nature. But, oh, you know, if he would have grabbed his wife and said, we're out of here, um, our, we would have a new nature. And that sin issue would have been dealt with. But never mind, we know how it turns out. Trials, on the other hand, can and do emanate from Satan. He means them for evil. He means them to destroy us, to cause us great difficulty. He can't destroy a believer, but man, can he mess up a testimony. Your pastor, Pastor Mike, Brother John, I mean, they, they, can, they can tell you of preachers that have, had destroyed themselves because sin crept in and they entertained it and caused a great deal of trouble. No, sometimes... Sometimes it comes from Satan. Sometimes God allows it. But sometimes it's simply life. It's simply life. Sometimes the temptation just comes out of life. Uh, because we're in a sinful world. And uh, we've got to know how to handle those situations. We've got to know how to deal with it. When temptation comes. And you don't wait until it comes before you deal with it. You deal with it in here right now. Because you know temptation is going to come. Now, in Christ. In Christ we can reject the evil in the trial. It can be rejected. We can say, no, I will not. And turn and walk away from it. Or we can succumb to it. When we do right by seeking God's grace, we grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We grow by it. We've learned something. And we've seen God work. When we choose wrong, well, when we choose wrong in a trial, in a temptation, we're very likely to 
repeated again and again and again and again. God wants us to grow. That's why these trials come. That's why we have to deal with these. Now, let's look at the rest in verses 12 through 18. First of all, verses 2 through 8. I didn't mean 12 through 18. 2 through 18. Profiting from trials. In verse 2, he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into temptation, when you fall into various trials. Count it joy. Now, what I want to challenge you with here, when we look at something like trials, temptations, uh, things that can be horribly destructive to us. What James is saying, count it joy. Now, how are you going to do that? You're going to have to have a different perspective. Okay? Uh, if, we, if we grow to thinking that, that we're, we're victims of sin, and sin is around us everywhere, and I just... I just can't stand the idea of being tempted, um, we're, we're on a losing track. We're on a losing track. God wants us to, to have an understanding of what this is and what the answer is. Count it as joy when these temptations come. I want us to grow to see a new perspective. When you face these difficulties, don't say, woe is me. Count it joy. Count it joy. Why? How can we do that? Because we know God's working. Satan may be working too, but you're on God's side. And God's on your side. And you know God is working. Count it joy because you know that God is with you. God... God's ways, they're not our ways. How can we see good in temptation? See God. See God. Turn it around. Have that different perspective. If you focus on the, the, the difficulty of the sin, or if you focus on God, um, we realize that we can count it joy when we experience temptation. There's no sin in temptation. Okay? Nobody ever fell into sin because he was tempted. You fall into sin because you yield to the temptation. We look in the face of darkness. When we're being tempted, when we're being tried, we can look into the face of darkness. We don't know what lies in front of us, but we see God. Because He is our Lord. He is our Master. When we look into the face of temptation, we see God. And He is good. And He means for good for your life. And we can... We can yield to him. In verse 3. In verse 3 he says. Knowing that the testing of your faith. Produces patience. Knowing. Knowing. 
Knowing, knowing what? Knowing what? Well, we wait on God through trials. We trust Him completely. Patience, righteous endurance, we trust Him through it. But there's some steps here that He wants us to know. In fact, I want to take you through these steps. They're so important that it's, it's written twice in Scripture. The first time it's written is back a page in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, and beginning in verse 5, but I want to take you back further. I want to take you back to the original text of that. Uh, go to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Beginning in verse 1. Solomon writes, My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my, command, my commands. For length of days and long life and peace, they will uh, add to you. Okay? So, first of all, he says, don't forget my law. Don't forget my word. Verse 3. He says, let not mercy and truth forsake you. Okay? First, don't forget my law. Second, let mercy and truth forsake you. What's another word for law? God's word. Don't forget my word. Don't forget my word. Let mercy and truth, let it not be forsaken. Verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Number three, in all your ways, acknowledge God. You're facing trials. You're facing temptation. Here's the key. Acknowledge God. Number four, verse seven. Do not be wise in your own eyes. You're not going to work these things out by yourself. And you're not going to deal with a temptation by yourself. Don't be wise in your own eyes. You look to God for wisdom. In verse nine, he says, honor the Lord with your possessions. Honor God with your possession. Do your possessions belong to you? Or do you belong to them? You know, it's just a play on words, but it's a, it's a, it's a serious thing in the age we're living in. Do they belong to you or do, they, do you belong to them? Um, we need to get that well in hand. Um, one of the biggest problems that Christians have today are things. Wanting more things. They're so easy to get. New cars. Another house. Uh, fancy video equipment and you name it. I mean, the kinds of things that are available to us. We didn't have it when we were growing up, did we? We didn't have it. Uh, most of us had radio. That's what I remember first in my life. I can remember years of not having 
a television. I remember the first time I saw one, blew me away. But radio, well, now we've got everything under the sun. And we allow these things to captivate us. Honor the Lord with your possessions. And last in verse 11, how will God help you? Do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Now, he tells us in the first part. He tells us in the first part what we are, how we're to behave. And then he tells us, last of all, how will God help you? Don't despise his chastening. Now, this fits in with our lesson in chapter 3, or, or James 1. Um, chastening is an, often a big part of the trials that we face. It's a big part. Um, chastening is God allowing these temptations to come and see how we deal with it. Just like Adam and Eve, God didn't cause the temptation to come. He didn't do it, but he allowed it to come. What was he looking for from Adam? He was looking for Adam to say, yes, God, but he didn't. Okay, and that then opens up another door, another door of a, a relationship with God. Now, let's go back to uh, our text in James. In verses 9 through 11 in our text. In verse 9, he says, let the lowly brother... Glory in his exaltation. But the rich, glory in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he'll pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat than it withers the grass. Its flower falls, its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. We're dealing with two people here, okay? The rich and the poor. The poor and the rich. And he says that both of us need another perspective in our relationship with God. He speaks to the poor man first. And to the poor man. To the poor man. He says, let the low, lowly brother... Glory in his exaltation. What is that? His exaltation. God has exalted him and lifted him up on high ground. That's what we should glory in. It's nothing we did for ourselves. It's just that when we heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, we believed it. We accepted it. We trusted him in it. That's what we should glory in. If we're poor, if we have nothing else, we have much to glory in. Amen. You know, people, people have this need. You know, we've got we to gotta have something. Okay, we've got to have something to glory in. And he says to the poor, here's what you glory in. The way that 
God has exalted you and lifted you up out of your poverty and your meanness of life and brought you to himself. And you may still be living in that mean life, but he has lifted you up out of it in your soul. Again, we need to look at at God and God's plan. And through the rich man, he says, to the rich, glory in his humiliation. Glory in his humiliation. I was raised by a stepfather. And uh, my stepfather was a good dad to me. Uh, He had two sons. I have a brother and two sisters. And uh, uh, my stepfather always kept a very special relationship with his two sons. But the side of us that came from my mother, he treated us the same way. He treated us like we were his kids. Uh, We called him Pa. And he treated us like we were his kids. Now, ultimately, uh, he ended up favoring more his boys and Our part of the inheritance came from my mother. And that's only fair. That's only fair. But my stepfather, he lived a a nasty life. Okay? He lived a nasty life, but he was a good man. He, uh, He was a man of integrity. I remember as a young boy... He would go off and have breakfast at a little cafe up the street, he and my mom. One time he came back and he looked at his change. He didn't look at it when he left. He looked at it. He said, they they didn't do this right. They gave him a nickel too much. He got back in his car and drove to the cafe and said, look, you guys got to watch out what you're doing here. You gave me a nickel too much. But if they gave him a penny too little, he'd have still gone back and said, you didn't give me enough money. Um, he was a man of integrity, uh, in business especially. He was a man of integrity. <clears throat> he built a mobile home park in California. And uh, in the process of the putting everything together for the building and getting some finance on it, he did something wrong. He did something dreadfully wrong. I don't know what it was, but he was afraid he was going to go to jail. Um, and it was inadvertent. And he just went to the right people and told them, look, this is what happened here, and we got to fix it. Well, it turns out it wasn't really much of a problem because of the way he dealt with it. He was a man of integrity, but he he had no way to exalt the Lord. He didn't know the Lord until he got very sick, had open-heart surgery. And at that time, I was traveling, and... um, I sent a preacher friend in California, Brother Ted Hicks, and uh, I sent him, would you go talk to my father in the hospital? And he went. The weekend before, uh, I arranged for my father to take us on a fishing trip. My father had a good boat, and we went out fishing, and we caught a lot of fish. And they got to talking. They got to know each other. And uh, I asked him, can I... Can I send Brother Hicks over to talk to you? He said, sure, send him over. And 
that day he led him to Jesus. He led him to the Lord. Um, Things... My wife and I left. My father didn't go to church. And it looked like he, he was slipping back. And I'd talk to him. And he'd say, yeah, I trusted. I trusted Jesus. I asked him to forgive me and to save me. And uh, several years later, he had cancer. It was in his brain. And he was dying. And I asked him, I said, Paul, do you remember Brother Hicks? Do you remember his conversation with you? He said, oh, I remember it. I said, did you trust Jesus? He says, I absolutely did. Now, how he lived his life the way he did, I don't know. I don't Is he indeed a born-again man? I'll find out when I get to heaven. Okay? But he made a good profession of faith. He didn't have that opportunity to really exalt the Lord in life. Rich man. Rich man, exalt the Lord because you didn't come to him with anything in your hands. You didn't offer him a thing. He wanted you to come to him just as you are. You can't buy it. There's nothing you can do to pay. Jesus lifts you up freely. It's kind of hard for a rich man. But that's where he should exalt. Um, That's where he should be lifted up in his exaltation of God himself. In verse 5 through 8, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally. Without reproach, it'll be given to him. Okay, I, I don't know. I don't know about you. I don't know if you face trials. I don't know if you face any difficulties. I still do. I still do. And I know that I need God's wisdom to, to tread the path that I'm walking in this life. I need God's wisdom. What do you do about it? You ask God. You ask God believing. See, that's, that's one of the, the difficulties. A lot of us really have a, have a difficult time understanding this believing. Look, if you're not asking in faith, if you're not asking believing, he says, you're like the wave of the sea being blown back and forth. You're not going to get anywhere. You're just back and forth all your life. You can't be a double-minded individual. If you lack wisdom, you ask God. Ask God for it. God will give it to you, he says. Just ask. No doubting. Seems simple. Seems simple. It's not as simple as, as you may think. Unstable life relationships. Loving God in the midst of trials. Verses 12 through 18. 
Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. God can't be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin, birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. No, God doesn't tempt anybody. And he cannot be a tempter as such. It's man's own passions that tempt him and draws him away from God. Basically, you know, God has given us the victory. God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. And all he asks of us is that we trust him. That we will believe him, believe his word. When one seeks his passions and ignores God... He likely is not who he says he is. He may go to church regularly, but he's not who he says he is. Lust seems like a small and a private thing. There's some, perhaps here tonight, who has lustful thoughts from time to time that goes through his head. Okay? Um... It's bad enough to have those thoughts going through your head, but when you sit and park on them for a while and, and, and dwell with them for a while, you got troubles brewing. You got troubles brewing. It seems small, but when it matures, it ends in death. Don't be deceived by God's goodness and patient, long suffering. Don't be deceived by it. God loves you and He cares totally for you. In verses 17 through 18, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no variation, no shadow of turning. That variation, God doesn't change. The shadow of turning, that speaks, that speaks of a little word, um, the word is parallax. Do you know what parallax is? That's that funny thing that happens to you when you're driving your car. Your gas gauge is over here. And the needle is going over here. And you look at it and you think, oh, I've still got gasoline in it. But wait a minute. Come over here and look at it. <laughs> when you come over here and look at it, you see the real thing. But looking at it from here... You're seeing what is described as parallax. And it's very deceptive. Uh, in God, there is no parallax. God is true. God is straight. With God, what you see is what you get. And you can trust him. You can depend on him. And he will never let you down. God's gifts are useful. They're practical. They're good. God's gifts are also perfect. There's nothing lacking in them. His liberality is wholly consistent. God is the father of lights in whom there is no parallax. There's no deception in him. What you see is what you get. 
And God wants us to learn that. And God wants us to walk that way. What you see, God, is what you get. Trust God. When trials come, they will come. Ask Him for wisdom to get through it. Ask Him to lead you to the other side of it. Remember, that trial is not designed to hurt you. That trial is designed to help you. In the midst of that trial comes the, the hand of God. We read in the Hebrews letter how that whom God loves, he chastens and scourges every son. And these are often those temptations, those trials that we go through. And when we go through a trial with God, God doesn't mean to tear, tear you to ribbons. He means to see you through it. If you will trust him, if you will observe his word, follow his word, he'll see you through that trial. God loves you. He loves you dearly. And you can trust him.